evening everybody and welcome to this World Extreme Medicine podcast. My name is Dr. Jen Sherman, doctor, coach and expedition medic. If you are a paramedic, a doctor, nurse, physio or indeed anybody working in healthcare who has a curious and adventurous mind, then this is the podcast for you. Today we are going to be talking about exchanging medicine for mountains and to explore this with me in this episode I have the pleasure of welcoming Anna Wells. Anna qualified as a doctor in the Scottish Highlands and is currently um, has currently um, successfully made a career change to focus on climbing. She absolutely loves being in the mountains and um, the freedom of the wide open spaces and the rush of trying hard is where she is happiest. Her favourite activities are rock climbing, summer alpinism, schemo and running and with her happiest moments including completing a winter traverse of the Cullen Ridge in one day, climbing El Capitan, summiting 37 4,000 hours in one summer and having been fortunate to travel the world as part of the GB ice climbing team. Goodness, welcome Anna to the podcast, delighted to have you with us. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure. It's it's our pleasure. And where are you joining us from tonight? I am just north of Inverness in the Scottish Highlands at home. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm sure it's beautiful up there at this time of year. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think let's just dive in, Anna. I mean, I think um, I know our audience listening um, this evening would would love to know just a little bit about your background. So just about um, where your maybe your first kind of um, love of the outdoors began. Um, yeah, so my love of the outdoors, I guess, kind of began indoors <laughs> um, through climbing walls. So I got into climbing as a kid just at the local leisure centre um, and used to go indoor climbing once a week there and that was where it all started really. Um, and after I went to uni, which was actually first of all to do maths before I did medicine, um, I worked at a climbing wall in Aberdeen and through that I got to know lots of people who were into outdoor climbing and just slowly picked up skills and learned as I went. Brilliant. So, and um, at that stage, did you ever see yourself um, moving into into that field as an actual career? Um, I knew it existed, um, but no, I'd never really seen myself doing that because I was I was always quite academic, and I always just sort of saw my pathway ahead as going to uni, getting a more conventional job. I do remember um, during studying for finals of medicine looking through the criteria of the British guide scheme because I was definitely (laughs) thinking of alternate things at that time but I don't think I ever really seriously thought about it until much more recently. Mm, That's really interesting so so you initially went and studied maths and kind of the climbing was very much a hobby for you at that point and it it stayed as a bit of a hobby Um, and then you went into medicine then you studied medicine is that right then after maths? Yeah, I did. I went straight straight from math into medicine. So it was nine years in university, which people are often like, well, that's a lot. But actually being in university is great. Like you've got three months summer holidays and yeah, it's such a fun, happy time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 100 percent. So um, after you graduated then from medicine, what um, what kind of direction have things taken for you? Um, so I was I was still really enthusiastic about medicine. Um, at that point and I went to do a rural track program for F1 and F2 so I was based up in Inverness and then 
over on the west coast in Fort William and Oban. And yeah, climbing was like a massive part of my life, but a very separate part of my life. Um, and I kind of found, as I went through my junior doctor jobs, that I found the work very, very stressful because I'm quite a perfectionist and overthinker and worrier. <laughs> and I found it really difficult to go home at the end of the day and switch off. And I think I wanted to do everything to an impossible standard. And it just leaves you feeling deeply uncomfortable all the time when you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think I think you're talking about something that, you know, I, I definitely can resonate with. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there, yeah. are other, there are others listening that can resonate with that really, um, you know, really um, deep reflection, really. Um, um, I think it's always hard when you have one of those reflections after studying something like medicine. So, so what did you do when you started to realise that, you know, maybe it did feel uncomfortable for you and you weren't sure about your future in it. I mean, how was that as a time of your life and how did you manage that? Um, I guess it was it was definitely a confusing time. Um, but I was determined to make it to the end of FY2. There was a point during F1 where I was quite close to leaving. I kind of sat down with my programme supervisors and we had a big discussion, but I decided to stick it out till the end of F2. And then I guess it was quite a natural career break and um, certainly where I was studying up in the Highlands there were a lot of people who were taking time out and going over to New Zealand and Australia and um, maybe it's less less academically driven the people who tend to go in those remote placements but it certainly didn't feel like strange or scary with the idea that I might take a bit of time out so I signed up to a locum agency and then packed my car and ran away to Chamonix in the French Alps. <laughs> um, and I think during that time, it was it was quite nice and reassuring getting, you know, regular texts from the local agency saying, oh, there's a shift in this hospital. And you, you always knew it was it was there to go back to. It was always sitting right there if you if you wanted it. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's one of the real um, positives of it, isn't it? As a as a career, is that you know, is 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 that, isn't it? So, um, yeah. so you took so you took yourself off to Chamonix, um, and you got tech, lots of texts from local agencies. But I'm imagining you weren't local in Chamonix. <laughs> so, so tell us about you know what what did that time in Chamonix involve? Um, loads and loads of just rock climbing, alpine climbing. Um, and then I ended up staying into the winter and did lots of skiing and ski mountaineering. And yeah, I guess it was that winter was probably a bit of a turning point for me because like my, my savings were starting to run out a bit. So I took up some jobs, like doing some transfer driving and babysitting. And yeah, at first it was definitely confusing because you're kind of wrapped up in the identity of, you know, being a doc. You like looked nicely upon by society. And you really start to question yourself then when you're doing a different job, like you're driving a transfer bus and um, babysitting. And actually, when I kind of thought about it, I I was in every way so much happier doing these stress-free jobs and having so much time to like have fun and be with friends. Um, I think what made it easier as well being in Chamonix is there's definitely a bit of a, a lifestyle thing with it. So I knew quite a lot of people who'd come from good careers in the UK. They'd been like investment bankers or like engineers and teachers. And they were all out in Chamonix driving minibuses as well. <laughs> and 
it, it was definitely quite comforting. You're like, oh, well, if they can make this lifestyle change, then so can I. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something, there's a really, something really powerful in what you've just said. And that's, it's, it's the power of community when you're trying to make some form of a transition. It's so much, um, uh, it can be so much more readily nurtured when you're surrounded by similar or like-minded people. Does that make sense? Definitely, I think it can be yeah. much harder if you're trying to do that, but you're still surrounded by by a different type or people who've stayed within something. You know, it's it's much it's a much it takes much more um, courage. I think not that it doesn't already take courage to to have done exactly. It takes a lot of courage. But does do you, do you know where I'm coming from? Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So you were in Chamonix having a great time. Um, and this was the time then that you started to think, actually, maybe I am going to allow myself to do something different. Is that is that how things went or was there was there more to it? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I think um, I remember saying to myself when I went out to Chamonix, I was like, give yourself a year to just have fun and don't get stressed about your future and what you're going to do next. Like, just enjoy it. But probably like, you know, most driven people who end up doing medicine in the first place my brain was definitely ticking away thinking yeah but what am I gonna do um and so at some point I decided that I would work through all of my outdoor and mountaineering qualifications I think I remember almost feeling like a bit of an epiphany I was like because I'd met a lot of people in medicine who hadn't been happy but had tried to leave and then hadn't really had anything else to go to or they hadn't found another direction and I think at one point I thought I, I'm really lucky there's this whole other world and career that I've got so much passion for maybe I could give this a go yeah definitely it was like you you knew um you knew what you were jumping to from if that makes sense you know I think um and I think it's a, again a really important point you know is I think that we we all when we're making a big change in whatever way, but particularly I think professionally, like I think having like clarity of purpose is so important. Um, you have to have some yeah. form of clarity as to what you're going to, because I think if it's not there, it's really hard to, um, know, it's really hard to know what actions you need to take. Does, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah. So yeah, over about two years, I went back and forth between Chamonix and the UK, uh, finishing up qualification. Also having a shoulder operation with quite a long recovery, <laughs> which was Gosh. a big memory in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you, so over that time, then you got all your professional outdoor qualifications. And how did, I mean, because this is a question I think um, people often ask as well. And did you support yourself through those? So did you um, self-fund all of those? Yes, I did. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, some of them were quite expensive. Frustratingly, I, I invested a huge amount of time and money doing my international mountain leader qualification, um, which I then lost my first season of work to with COVID. And thereafter, it's become, I think, almost impossible with Brexit. So <laughs> that was potentially a lot of time and effort. But I, I mean, I had so much fun along the way and learned a lot, met awesome people. Yeah, I guess you can yeah. never look back and regret things. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So does that, so um, after getting kind of all the outdoor qualifications, then what what did you kind of, what direction have you taken things since? Um, so I set up a company called Rocks and Trails and 
through that I my two kind of favorite things to do are guiding people in the mountains so I've done a lot of work guiding people in the Coolins on Sky which are there's 11 minerals on the Coolin Ridge which are quite serious compared to all the other minerals so a lot of hill walkers um like to be guided on those so I've, I've done a lot of guiding on sky and I also love teaching people rock climbing so equipping people with the skills so that they can go outdoors independently in the future and climb themselves yeah and how have you find that kind of making that transition because I guess essentially now you're you're you have your own business I mean how, how, do, you, how do you find that and um, I really enjoyed it yeah I quite I quite like having been able to organize my time myself um is very different to nhs rotas <laughs> i guess where you don't have much say over what's happening um and yeah I, I really enjoyed being there's not many women like female mountaineering instructors so it's been amazing i think i've kind of attracted a bit of a niche market like a lot of a lot of ladies i've had lots and lots of ladies out in the mountains who like maybe otherwise wouldn't have gone and I think that's that's a really nice place to be able to to fill and take people mm, mm. yeah I think that's really interesting I guess like why do you think that is do you think there's something about women feeling more comfortable with a female instructor or do you think yeah I think so I think um from from speaking to women I think it's a whole variety of things but I think Part of it is like the very old school idea of an instructor who's just gonna like head down, march people up the mountains and like be rushing you. But you know, that's obviously totally not the case. Like all my male instructor friends are absolutely wonderful. <laughs> but I think, yeah, women just sometimes feel more confident with another another woman and they maybe imagine you're gonna be more patient and understanding. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. And so, obviously, at the beginning of the podcast, I, I, I um, within the bio, um, I, uh, you know, listed some amazing accolades that you've obviously, um, uh, accrued in your, um, time, um, you know, as, as, as an outdoor professional. So, you know, I, I, you know, I wonder if you would mind just talking us through some of those, like, you know, how they came about and some of the highs and lows of those experiences. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a big question. <laughs> um, I mean, if it helps, guess, choose one. <laughs> if it helps, choose you know, choose the one that means the most to you. That sometimes that that might be a better way of thinking about it. So, you know, which which kind of which of your achievements feels like it means the most. Um, I guess like the summers I spent in the Alps doing um lots of big Alpine four thousanders have been really magical um back in 2013 when my friend and I we tried to go and climb well originally we actually tried to go and climb all 82 of them <laughs> which was in retrospect somewhat ambitious um but we ended up doing 37 and well I kind of I kind of like the vibe behind that as well in that yes it might have been crazy to try and do all of them but if we hadn't set such a ridiculously big target then we probably wouldn't have done anywhere near 37 um so yeah I just I love being in the Alps in summer I'm not very good with the cold so 
I love days in the mountains where you're moving quickly. So it's not lots of really hard technical bits where you're pitching it on ropes and standing around holding the ropes for each other and like moving overall quite slowly. I love days when you're on big long ridges that are difficult enough that your brain is occupied by what you're doing but easy enough that you can progress quite quickly. That's probably my favourite thing. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think, you know, I I know um, some of our listeners will also be kind of thinking, uh, you know, even about their own, maybe wanting to step out and do their own adventures, maybe obviously not to the um, quite to the same level of some of the amazing things that you've obviously set out and, you know, um, beautifully achieved. But, you know, I guess um what would you say for yourself is how do you um manage your mindset when you're setting out to kind of you know like that summer in the alps you know you're setting out you've you've, you've kind of created this big challenge for yourself i mean how do you manage your own kind of um mindset during that and you know what do you think is key to your resilience whilst you're kind of doing um those kind of big challenges um i guess taking each day at a time so trying not to think about the whole challenge as a whole, but just what you're doing tomorrow, what you need to organise right now for the next steps. And also just having like good positive people around you as well, I think makes a massive difference. People you can trust and rely on and get on well with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's really interesting because it's often echoed and um, I think and many others who've like you went out and maybe done you know big ultra marathon challenges but it's a very very common theme people talking about um taking things in very bite-sized chunks as a way to kind of manage the overwhelm of what the challenge might feel like at times if that makes sense yeah definitely i think yeah because i remember when i'd always really wanted to go to yosemite which is a big rock climbing area in america and i remember that seemed like seeming like massively overwhelming because there are so many new skills that I didn't really have yet so there's a lot more rope path involved and you've got to when you're climbing big walls and sleeping on the wall and hauling up your gear and stuff and I remember that like the first thing I did was bought a guidebook for Yosemite like the climbing guidebook and then the second thing I did was booked flights to San Francisco and then once you've kind of made that commitment you know that you're just going to you're going to get there you're going to take all the steps you need to do to get there but I think yeah doing something quite committing and then something that's going to be your first of many baby steps yeah. is a good start yeah no definitely and I mean at the moment do you have any other big challenges in the pipeline and <laughs> um, I have some ideas for the winter and um, I think I'll stay in Scotland this winter because um yeah I just I kind of like certainty I don't like the idea of making plans that then may or may not get to happen with whatever happens in the world over the next few months so um yeah I've got some ideas for link-ups of routes that I'd quite like to do in Scotland in winter and because as I said before I've always preferred the endurance side of it so big long days where you're challenging yourself on that rather than like scary harder stuff where you get really cold <laughs> yeah yeah that's your niche that's a, that's where you kind of feel like you come alive more or you're in the zone or you know yeah <laughs> yeah um, I think so 
And you've mentioned obviously that within your guiding work um, and also personally as well, like the Coolins and Sky holds, it sounds like they hold a, a special place in your heart. I mean, what is it about, what is it about that mountain range? I mean, what is it about Sky that kind of draws you to there? Um, it's just so beautiful. Like the, the quality of the climbing and scrambling, like all around on the ridge is just amazing. And you, you can look around you at any point and just see so many different rock faces and you know that there's climbing everywhere and and then it's the fact as well you look down and you see the sea all around you as well and you're like oh yeah I'm on an island <laughs> and yeah it just feels very very special it feels so different to anywhere else in Scotland yet it's it's so close it's like it's right there mm. yeah um and obviously, that's obviously one of your um, big achievements as well, is um, uh, completing a winter traverse of the Coolin in, in one day. Is that right? Yeah, we did it in one day. A very long day. It was 21 hours long, but it was a day. Wow. wow. <laughs> um, and again, you know, how was that? How, what were the highlights and lowlights of that? Um, I think, like, probably one of the highlights was just knowing it was going to happen um, and that the forecast had come together because it's so rare that the Coolin Ridge comes into condition for a winter traverse because like because it's an island it's and actually not that high like all the peaks are less than a thousand meters so compared to you know like the Cairngorms or Ben Nevis a lot of places where people do winter and ice climbing they're actually quite low and then I think the sort of sea air the island climate um makes it different as well so yeah, you, you just need so many things to come together for it all to work in the first place, like having free time, having a partner um, and having good conditions. And yeah, it was just an absolutely epic day. <laughs> mm. One of the best days ever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think anybody um, uh, who looks um, at your name online and um, there's some you know wonderful um, pieces that you've written and been involved with them um, but I mean one of the questions I would love to ask you is is what um, you know what what adventure gives to your life I mean what what you know and it's a huge question but um, you know it's motivated you to make a big career transition to you know you know start your own business to you know you've you know it's just obviously something that you're so passionate about so yeah I'm just wondering if you can kind of put your fingers on on what adventure means to you or why it's you know why it lights you up it's such a hard question but like I can even remember when I was back in high school like all my early years of climbing were really just indoor focused um but I think I always had like some sense or idea that I wanted to be like out there in the sunshine doing really fun things because I can remember walking home from school on really sunny days and feeling like I was missing out in some way I know that sounds really tragic but <laughs> just like oh why am I here in this town and like the sun shining and I guess there's like I grew up in Inverness so I guess there's like pretty good views you can kind of see the hills a bit um but I used to do a lot of um things like I'd go on really long bike rides when I was a kid and I just really loved being like out and having a little mission whatever that was and in high school I did like the Duke of Edinburgh awards and that was probably the f among the first times that I went camping and doing a big hike and I remember really enjoying that process of like sitting down and planning out your route and then actually living out that trip that you'd just 
planned and doing it with friends as well because I think like my most memorable mountain days or climbing days have, have always been about the company and the people I was with rather than whatever the objective was I think that's definitely what makes days special mm. that's really interesting you know I think it's that connection thing you know the social connection the connection to the surroundings but something around connection isn't it that, that it makes it so so special definitely because I think on any day when you go out climbing or walking you go through so many intense emotions and I think that's quite a bonding thing so you know in the morning you've probably got like excitement some nervousness because you don't know how it's all going to go and then depending on what you're doing there's probably some like fear like uncertainty and then that like joy and jubilation and they're just such intense emotions you feel really close together and I think sharing that with someone is yeah it's amazing mm, yeah definitely yeah I think that's really interesting that kind of cycle of emotions and going through that with others I mean I guess another probably quite difficult question to answer but I mean what do you feel like you learn from that what you know what is it about going through that all the time that you learn about your you know do you learn things specific about yourself or about others or about the environment um I guess it could yeah I guess like you'd know that it's going to change like you know that all these feelings are transient so when when you're I don't know worried or stressed you just like you can have faith that no it's going to change it's going to it's going to get better <laughs> um yeah Mm. Yeah, that's really, I think that's really interesting, isn't it? In terms of um, how you, you know, taking those types of insights and the lessons gained through those types of experiences and then just being able to, how that influences life, if that makes sense. I know that sounds like a very philosophical thing to say, but then how that gives you confidence in other stresses and other stresses and strains of life, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's, I remember it's, it's something, I'm not sure how much I believe in transferable skills in all their senses because I remember like when I was finding work stressful at the hospital, so many people would say to me like, oh, how can you be so comfortable like hanging off a cliff face <laughs> but then you're so like worried and stressed about every tiny thing in medicine and I think, I think a lot of it is that in climbing and mountaineering, you are doing everything you can to mitigate the risks and you have quite a lot of control um, over a lot of those risks. Whereas in medicine, I think a lot of the risks feel more invisible and outside of your control. And yeah, I, I think I'm a very kind of calm, confident person in the mountains, but I never really felt that way in medicine. And I think that's quite interesting that these these sort of terms it's not like someone is a confident person or they're not you can be you can be very confident in one situation and not in another yeah I mean I think I think that is such a um yeah I mean I, I think that's such a it's a bit of a I mean to the listeners what I would say is if there's you know that that's our bit of wisdom from this podcast there's a lot of wisdom <laughs> in this podcast but I think that is so important I think you've highlighted something really really important actually um yeah really important and you know I think um 
I hope actually, yeah, I hope, I hope that you've, I'm, I'm sure you've helped a few people actually by just saying that. <laughs> so yeah, without probably without realizing it, but I think, um, I guess what I would say is what I find really interesting is how do you interpret that now? Do you, that kind of knowing that actually when I'm outside, when I'm, you know, taking people out on the Coolins, when I'm out in my own adventure, I am calm and I'm confident. But when I was in that environment, it wasn't, that wasn't me. It wasn't, it wasn't that version of me. How, with time and some distance away from, you know, from medicine, really, I guess, how would you interpret that now? What would you give meaning to? How would you give meaning to that? So I still think I would be just as stressed and worried if you put me back in a medical situation. Um, I think what I have reflected is that it's really, really hard to like know, actually know yourself and your strengths and weaknesses and how you react in different situations. And I now try and think a lot more about, yeah, but how will I actually feel if I go to try and do that thing? Um, so for example, like this winter, I'm thinking of doing some mass tutoring and I'm like, I'm getting a lot better rather than just thinking of an idea that sounds good, actually thinking, how will I react in these situations before kind of jumping headlong into something? But it's obviously super hard and like in school when you're 17 and you're choosing your career, it's, there's no way like you'd ever really be thinking about all these things. You don't realise how important they are and these like really subtle character traits. And also, I think something I thought about is that, like, things that can be a disadvantage in one area can be a big strength in another. And that was something I thought about in medicine because I'm like, my brain is hyper analytical and I see, like, all the tiny little details and things that made it very difficult in medicine. Um, but something I've, I've got into, like, the last couple of winters, I've taught myself, like, computer programming. And I'm quite interested in maybe, like, getting into data science or something. And, and actually all those things that kind of held me back in medicine would be like a really good asset in that. So if you've got like, you could have like 100 pages of computer coding and if you've got one comma out of place and the whole thing doesn't work. And like, I like that fact, like that's how my brain works. <laughs> it's like, yes, everything needs to be perfect. So I think rather than, I think I realized at some point, you know, rather than struggling against all these natural personality traits maybe actually if you're doing something different these things become strength yeah I mean uh, so much wisdom in that also I think Anna you know because I think it, <laughs> um yeah there is honestly I, I yeah I am um, I mean I think that one thing that and, and I'm not sure whether you experienced this um I wouldn't want to <clears throat> you know, speak for you it'd be really interesting to hear what you think about this but one thing I think happens quite a lot in medicine actually is people um who are maybe in the situation that you described um uh begin to think that there's something wrong with them so instead of it actually being that it, you know that it's just the the person environment fit isn't right because ultimately that is what the bottom line that's what we we're talking about is the person and the environment aren't fitting they're, they're, it's not a good fit instead of that being the ultimate kind yeah. of frame of looking through it, instead of that being the frame, which is a really positive frame, actually, there can sometimes be more of a sense of it's something wrong with me. There's something lacking in me. The limitation was in with me and my inability to um, 
uh, match the demands of the situation. And I think that way of thinking can actually occur quite commonly. And I think that the, um, not the problem, but the challenge with that whenever it does happen is that the impact that has on your well-being is profound. And um, it starts to, you know, it, it can, you know, yeah, it can be really, um, it can be really challenging. And I think it can, you know, lead people into some really, really difficult places. Um, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are around that. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Um, and it's because you, especially going through F1 and F2, you have quite a big peer group. And I definitely would be looking around thinking, oh, like everyone else is coping so much better than me. Like, why am I the only one who's having to run away and cry in the toilets like three times a day? And and also, I think, like, I loved so many parts of the job. Like, I absolutely loved, like, interacting with patients or like doing the things where I felt like I knew exactly what I was doing then I absolutely loved it and I loved the sort of teamwork side of it and so it's also it's very easy to think all these other bits are brilliant so I just need to sort out this one little thing um like my confidence um and then everything will be fine and sort of combined with the fact of how much you know time and effort you have already put in at that point like doing your medical degree and you just feel so invested and yeah you definitely end up feeling like you're the problem and you just need to fix this one thing that you can't quite get right yeah completely agree yeah and I think you know I think yeah I mean obviously this this isn't a podcast about me but I think one thing I would just throw out there to anybody who's listened to this podcast who may find themselves in the situation that we are talking about is that the you know biggest gift that you can give to yourself and I mean Anna I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well is to is to step back and is to you know we all we all have um you know we all deserve to have work that we enjoy and that we find meaningful and that you know yeah okay there'll be some stress associated with it but and it's good stress rather than all being bad stress because there's a difference I, I really firmly believe and that's what the research says as well so I guess, yeah, just my message to anybody who's listening to this is, you know, reach out, speak to somebody. And yeah, um, yeah, I don't know, Anna, do you have anything? Yeah, and I I I found... Yeah. I was just saying, I just feel like we can naturally... Like when I spoke up about... Oh, sorry. No, 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 of course. I was just saying, I feel like Um... we've naturally touched upon (laughs) in the podcast. So yeah, go on ahead. Sorry, yeah. Um, Yeah, I definitely found that speaking up was really helpful because as, as after I'd sat down with like supervisors and colleagues and really talked about like how I felt, I felt that um, everyone was really, really supportive and helpful. And it, it did actually, it made my experience of the rest of F1 and F2, I think a lot better than it would have otherwise. Because I think we're like, you know, we spend half of our training getting really good at looking calm whilst we're struggling on the inside and I think because we get so good at that it's like actually the co- your colleagues and the people around you might not realize how you're actually feeling and I found only positive things came out of properly sitting down and talking to people about how I was finding it all so yeah, yeah I definitely recommend being as open and honest as you can to people yeah and I think yeah. the thing you said as well about taking time away is is a really good measure because I, I met quite a lot of people who 
had found it hard taking time out then actually gone back to it you know and I like whether that's after having kids and like your mindset maybe changes a little bit about risk and perspective on that I think yeah taking time out and talking to lots of people is really helpful yeah no a hundred percent yeah a hundred percent and I think you know yeah I think you've just made another really important point which is that just because you transition to do something else, it, it's not a it's not a one way street. You know, I really believe that nothing's ever a one way street. You know, just because you decide to go one way, it doesn't mean you can go back. You you can't go back that way another time. You know, you just like you know what I mean. I think it's also um, you know, it's also acknowledging yeah, exactly. that actually, you know, um, n- nothing's permanent. No decision is permanent because I think sometimes when we put the weight of our wor- the world on ourselves when we think that we're making a decision that we can never ever go back on it feels too much whereas if we change, change the language and say actually I'm, I- I'm gonna I'm gonna go and take some time out and try a few new things I'm gonna you know relax and get to know myself I'm gonna go and have some fun you know like all of these things that like you know any you know a life worth living's worth having those things isn't it do you know what I mean yeah absolutely and I think because we said I think before we started recording um the podcast we were just chatting there um I think I was saying like when I first went to Chamonix at that point the idea of giving up my medical license would have seemed utterly terrifying but three years later when I was pretty settled in my new career and sort of my new identity I guess and place in the world um it actually didn't even feel like a thing at all when I finally like clicked all the buttons to <laughs> give up my license yeah. to practice. Um, and I think that was definitely a big part of it, knowing it was always there if I wanted to go back. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, definitely. And I think that's, you know, that's the thing about, um, it's about transitions, isn't it? Is that they're not overnight things. They they take time. They take years sometimes as well, don't they? Really, you know, it's not. You know, change change is rarely. It's rarely a quick yeah. thing, and it shouldn't be. If if that makes sense, in some ways, if you're doing it properly, it takes time, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. definitely. Um, and I mean, I guess you know thinking about the future and I think about how you would like you know uh, to, your business to grow or, or where you see yourself kind of going you know um you know can you share a few thoughts with us about about that do you have any kind of exciting plans or ideas or ways you'd like to do things in the future um I guess I'm, I'm really enjoying the the balance I found at the moment and um, the kind of mountaineering season is sort of about two thirds of the year, like spring until autumn, and then having a quieter time climbing over the winter. I guess I've always kind of liked the idea of doing something good and meaningful. Um, And, you know, I'd love to be able to offer climbing and scrambling to, um, you know, people who couldn't afford it, like run free sessions and stuff. Because I think it's so, so good for like mental health and well-being. Like a lot of that's come out of lockdown over the last couple of years like so many more people have got into the outdoors and I think you know everyone's really realizing the benefit of pushing yourself physically or being out in beautiful places and I'd love to be able to like help lots of people find that 
Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I mean, there's such a, there's such a need for it, isn't there now more than ever, I think. And I think particularly amongst young people, I think they're, they're one, you know, population group that have been, they've, they've almost lost a lot of their youth through the pandemic, haven't they? With not being able to do all the normal things that you do when you're at university or, you know, you're young and you maybe go traveling, you know, these things haven't been available to them. Yeah, absolutely. I think it must've been so hard for people in yeah, school, university, everywhere in between. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, unfortunately, I, uh, it's always a sign of a good conversation, but um, we, are, we are actually getting near the end of our time. Um, and yeah, um, I can't quite believe it. That one went very quickly. Um, um, but I'm just wondering, Anna, I, I'm sure there'll be a few people um, who've listened um, to the podcast um, uh, and would like to connect with you. So I'm just wondering, what, what's the best way to connect with you? Um, is it through social media or, yeah, just in case anybody's interested? Um, yes, social media. My Instagram is at rocksandtrails um, or my email address. Can I give out my email address? <laughs> yeah absolutely. so if you're happy to, yeah. yeah i mean like if you're happy to, if it's on your website and you're happy to get it out you know yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so my email address is anna wells 111 at gmail.com and yeah it would be if anyone fancies getting in touch i'm more than i'd be more than happy to like chat through anything to do with medicine or transitioning or climbing so yeah please care Brilliant. Oh, that's, I think that's quite the offer. I think you might, you might have a busy inbox. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I wonder, I mean, I, I, I always like to wrap these podcasts up at the end with, I mean, there's been so many great golden nuggets through this chat that we've had um, this evening. But, you know, I guess what would be your words of wisdom with everything that you've kind of done over the last couple of years, if you could just leave, you know, leave myself and the listeners with, yeah, a couple of words of wisdom. I mean, what, what would they be? Um, <laughs> you should have prepped me for a question like that I think um, just to like I know this sounds really cheesy but to be true to yourself so like figure out what your strengths are and do things that make you feel happy and confident and good about yourself and what you're doing and yeah just try and have fun yeah no I think that I think that's brilliant um yeah I think that's brilliant advice and I think you know it's I think being true to yourself is such an important thing and I think I guess just one question around that because sometimes I, I've said this before and sometimes um people then uh, the question back is how do you know you're being true to yourself so I guess it's just one thing I would just love to ask you so be, doing what you're doing now compared to what it was like when you were a junior doctor in the wards how do you know that now you're being true to yourself compared to what you were doing then I think I quit, this is some, something I sometimes ask myself is if you won the lottery tomorrow like how much about your life would you change and if you actually wouldn't end up changing a huge amount about your life then I think that's quite a good sign that you're being true to yourself. <laughs> I think that's brilliant yeah yeah definitely no I, I absolutely love that yeah thank you Anna thank you yeah sorry that you didn't mind me no thank you for having me question when we're trying to wrap up the session <laughs> I just felt it was it's a really important thing because um to kind of just um flesh out a little bit but 
I mean, thank you, Anna. Thank you so much for um, for joining me this evening. Um, yeah, I'm happy for such an inspiring conversation. No, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. That's great. And thank you so much to our listeners. Um, and I mean, hopefully this will go out in time, but I just want to um, also just flag up. I'm sure many of, of our listeners are already aware of the Extreme Medicine Conference. Um, but if you're not, um, head over to the WEM website um, or you can head to extrememedicineexpo.com. There's a whole section there about registration. And some days are sold out. The virtual conference is not sold out. So um, if you're not aware of it, I would really encourage you to go and check it out. There's an amazing lineup this year. Um, and yeah it's fantastic that we're able to run the in-person um expo this year too um so thank you so much anna thank you so much everybody for listening and looking forward to seeing you next time